and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. And before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone who listens, downloads, subscribes and shares the podcast because we made it to number three in the iTunes kids and family chart. And I'm trying not to get too into, you know, rankings and all those sorts of things with the podcast, but I am incredibly excited because I feel like this message that I share and you all share and you're all part of, of looking at motherhood in a different way, in a deeper way, and looking at ourselves through this motherhood journey is resonating. And it's resonating on a far broader scale than I ever thought possible. So thank you. It's all down to you out there listening and enjoying the podcast and rating it and sharing it. And I I just want you all to know how deeply I appreciate that and how much it means to me. So thank you. This week's episode is with Angelique Panagos. Angelique is a nutritional therapist. She has a private practice in London and her book, The Balance Plan, came out in July 2017. She also has a gorgeous little girl who is one. Angelique and I chat about her story, which includes recovering from anorexia and bulimia. I'd say that I'm definitely in recovery and I catch myself sometimes now with my new mum tongue and my new mum bod thinking, what have I eaten? Have I eaten too much? And I'm stopping in its tracks. We talk about her six pillars of recovery and how she healed herself and now heals others. A huge part of what Angelique teaches is about hormones. So we deep dive into hormones and how we know if we have a hormonal imbalance and what to do about that. And I just felt horrible. And then I got to this place where I had energy and I could have a conversation and I was able to study, I was able to write a book. And then I had my beautiful baby girl and suddenly I'm back to that hormonal storm. We also chat about the first year of motherhood, us both having been through that recently and how she copes with the tiredness and what her own self-care looks like. So here's the episode and I hope you enjoy it. Angelique, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I've got your book in front of me, The Balance Plan, which I just absolutely loved it. I thought that I was relatively clued up on all things hormones, but I learned so much. So thank you so much for writing it. You don't know how happy I am to hear that. I love hearing that. People are gaining volumes from the book and my intention with writing it was just to share as much knowledge as I could within those pages as to what our hormones are. First of all, there's women we're actually governed by them and then what we can do is just get them in balance again so I'm thrilled you love it so where did your passion for hormones and sharing this body of knowledge that you have come from from your own story it was totally selfish I wanted to fix myself and I use the word fix quite loosely but with intention as well because I felt broken I really felt like I wasn't working as I was supposed to be and the only way that I was going to be fixed or fix the issue was to really dive deep into the subject of female health and hormones, do as much research as I could, work with as many specialists as I could and just get to the bottom of what was going on. And were you already a nutritionist at that point? It was one of the catalysts that got me into nutrition. And when you say your body wasn't working, how did that manifest? What did that look like for you? So I started menstruating at 10 years old. 
So we're going to talk period and we're going to talk poop because those are the two things that... Get ready. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I, yeah, I'm the girl that started her periods at 10 years old. I'm that child. I didn't know what was happening. I was so young that I was young. So young. I thought I'd pooped out of my front bum. You know, I was just like... Oh, bless you. And it was just a horrible affair from the beginning. I mean, if I think back just to the pain and clotting and throwing up and like having to go home from school and then later on from work because it was just debilitating periods and they were so far apart as well. I often joke that they like Armageddon, you know, you've been told it's coming and you just don't know when. So just having these long gaps between periods. And in the beginning, I understand now that when we start menstruating, our endocrine system is still working itself out and still finding its ways. At the beginning, you may have irregular periods but mine which is like 90 days apart at one stage six months apart so it was really a love-hate relationship with my period and I felt like that was the first step where I thought I don't work like people are able to go to work when they have their period first of all I have to go home and people have their period second of all and I hardly have it so something's a bit broken there and I was really hard on myself as well because I struggled with fertility and I had two miscarriages. So I remember crying and thinking, like, I can't get the basic female function of birthing a child right. And I think that's a lot of pressure that you put on yourself. And I think I have hormonal conditions. I have polycystic ovary syndromes and I have an underactive thyroid that I had Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune thyroid conditions and my immune system attacked my thyroid and it's left me with hyperthyroidism and then very recently I found out that I actually have something called adenomyosis which is uterine endometriosis so I've got all these different conditions and with that comes low progesterone risk of miscarriage and imbalance with estrogen and and testosterone as well so I just had this hormonal storm going on inside me and my lifestyle also cause these conditions to just become worse at times. What was that lifestyle look like? Were you sort of dealing with it by avoiding yourself or was it stress? What did that look like? There was definitely avoidance, 100%. I don't know if you can relate to like just feeling really small, but then at the same time feeling really big. So I, I always felt like I was overweight. And my mum really brought us up grounded in like good eating, you know, like healthy foods and we're Greek Italians, every single social event was around food, you know, there's just had a vested interest in eating. I did a lot of that, but my mum wanted us to have healthy meals, so lots of salads and vegetables. So I had this grounded knowledge in that, but then at the age of 18, 19, 20, I partied like a rock star. (laughs) I thought like I could drink any boy under the table and I burned the candle at both ends. I remember falling asleep I'd work once on the chair because I was just like parting so much that I was not able to stay <laughs> I think away. we've all been there. <laughs> I shouldn't relate to that. And I ate so badly as well. You know, it was just, it was a life of coffee, sugar in the day to keep me going and then alcohol to help me sleep. So which way around was it? Do you think you were not knowing what was going on with your body, so using all those things to avoid it, or do you think using all those things caused what was going on in your body? I think it was more of a, I'm young, I don't give a damn. Periods, okay, I'm not having my period. I'm really concerned that I'm not having my period, but I really want to go out and party, so I'm not going to think about it. And if you don't think about it, it's not there. 
that whole thing like if I close my eyes you can I can't see you so you can't see me so it's that sort of feel that I had I can remember that clearly and then also the saying goes your genes load the gun but your environment pulls the trigger yeah and I, I strongly believe in that and the research is really there and what we know about epigenetics today as well is that we can really help our genes to, to switch off or we can really turn them on and my lifestyle was turning on those genes in a big way and I was predisposed to hyperthyroidism because a lot of my family members have that my mum included right but that doesn't mean to say that I was definitely going to get it. But I put on all that weight and then I went down that rabbit hole of eating disorders as well. Right. So now I've got disordered eating to start with and then it moved into orthorexia. I didn't know what it was called then, but I would only eat what I thought was healthy. And then it moved into anorexia, bulimia, and then I'm obsessed compulsive overeating or binge eating disorder. Wow. Are you in recovery from that too? Yeah, I am. I am. And I say that with like such, like I want to well up when I think about it because we've recently just had eating disorders awareness. Yeah, last week. So last week. So I was looking into it again and I was like, oh, wow, you know, so many of the other disorders that now have a name and that are being spoken about I'm like wow I did that as well like night feeding for example mm. to get up in the middle of the night and eat chocolates and like wake up with the wrappers next to me in the bed like at that moment of eating it I knew I was doing it but then in the morning I'd be like why on earth did I do that like how could I not stop myself so I'd say that I'm definitely in recovery and I catch myself sometimes now with my new mum tum and my new mum bud thinking what have I eaten have I eaten too much and I just stop it in its tracks and the way that I stop it is and like I phone my sister and I tell her these are the thoughts going through my head yeah I tell my husband I tell my mum yeah because what I did was I did everything in secret and it was a very secretive time and now I just feel like if I'm telling people then I put it out in the open again and I'm not going back well secrecy is often the hallmark of any addiction Mm. whether it's alcohol drugs shopping gambling Mm. people love whatever it's often that secrecy isn't it and the shame around it that keeps us locked into that behavior and the pure exhaustion of it all I just think back to that time just like was exhausting and that's definitely what brought me into studying nutrition and I was under every diet under the sun. I boiled mm. so much cabbage in my tongue. <laughs> just like, I've tried yeah. every fad diet. I've counted calories till it was coming out of my ears. And, you know, I've just, that counting calories does not work. And low fat does not work. Because if it did, then no one would be going on a diet anymore. Exactly. So what, did you have a moment where, you know, people in recovery talk about a rock bottom moment where they go, I'm going to change? Or was that your experience? Or was it a sort of gradual awakening? How did you get from being in that place to getting into recovery and studying nutrition and hormones? I think it was a collection of things that if I think back now, I don't think I ever thought, okay, this is the moment I need to change now. Because I remember, like, the thinner I got, and the more people were commenting on how thin I was getting, I was enjoying those comments. Mm. But now if I think back, and I think, oh, even, not even now, but later on when I thought back and, and how it was affecting my mum, those were the type of things that really got me thinking, hang on, it's no longer about me anymore. It's now affecting my family and my baby sister as well. She still talks about it now. She's 24. She still talks about the time that she hugged me and there was nothing there. Mm. And she just thought, okay, I need to eat. You know, I need to make sure I don't become like that. Mm. So, you know, I think that all those different events 
that at one point made me realize I need to do something about it. But I think it was also the fact that I was just exhausted. Mm. I wasn't menstruating. I felt broken. I just felt like I wasn't functioning optimally and I really wasn't. Yeah, well, there's a saying, when you become sick and tired of being sick and Mm. tired. That's it, exactly. I think that's why I focus a lot on the lifestyle aspect of it. Yeah, that's what I love so much in the book is that you go through the solid science, which I love, I'm a bit of a science geek, but also, you know, when you talk about the six pillars, it's really holistic approach, isn't it? And did you get to that approach through what worked on you? Yeah, that's why I say it was a totally selfish mission and I'm so pleased (laughs) that it was because I've tried and tested it and I just thought that I know that we're all biochemically individuals, so... What works for one person may not work for another. And that's why I thought it has to be about a whole lifestyle approach. Because I tried all the diets and they may have worked for a little while, but then they stopped working because I just went back to my old habits. And I've tried exercising excessively and that didn't help me either. So it was about finding that balance and exactly as you say about the holistic approach and I remember when I first started talking about it and, and using it in clinic as well, I always thought, oh, people might think it's a bit woohoo to talk about the holistic side because sometimes when you talk about holistic health, it gets a bit of a, a quackery feel to it or name put on it, which just makes me, like, angry. Mm. <laughs> yeah, me too. Stop feeding that message to people because it's not any of those things. What it is is about looking at your lifestyle as a whole and you can eat a fantastic diet but if you don't get any rest and you don't get any exercise and you don't calm your mind and you don't give the body that time out you're still missing mm. that vital piece or you can put as many supplements down your throat as you like but they're going to do absolutely nothing for you excepting for put a strain on the body if your digestion's not working properly if your liver's not working optimally if you're not resting if you're not exercising mm. and if you're not eating well mm. I totally agree. Sometimes I think it's bonkers how we don't look at the body as a whole system in modern medicine. But that's a whole other but podcast. It's changing now. It's <laughs> it is changing. It is changing. And changing. I'm so pleased because yeah. I think the two go together the allopathic and the holistic, and the I mean, I don't know why nutrition's under complementary if we don't eat like yes. eat to survive. Yes, <laughs> like we, yes. We, we program... strange, isn't it? And what we give people in hospitals trying to recover is mind-boggling to me. So I really wanted for you to just share some of your amazing knowledge and insight on women's hormones, Mm. because I know there'll be a lot of mums listening who might be pregnant or have just had a baby, like we both have. And I just wondered if you could talk me through the hormones, the main ones, Mm -hmm. I can't remember what you call them. I call them the sassy six. That's the one, the sassy (laughs) six. If you could just give a really quick overview of the sassy six, that would be really good. And then maybe we could dig into some signs or symptoms that people might be having of the main ones that you see out of balance with mums in particular. And I think now that I am a new mum, so she's a year old now, Isabella, but I think I'm going to say that I'm a new mum until she's 18. I say that. My husband says, you can't say that anymore. She's two. I started actually putting in my social media post, new-ish mum. Yeah. like, oh, I guess I can't say new mum anymore, but I still feel... It's a lifetime job, so two years into me, it's still new. Exactly. (laughs) So the hormonal storm that I was before I got to my, what I call the place of hormonal freedom or the hormonal evolution, because it's completely evolving to get you to a certain point, was horrible. I had brain fog. I 
was not able to sleep, yet I was not able to stay awake. My hair was falling out. I couldn't remember anything. My confidence was rock bottom. My libido was non-existent. I had barely felt that I had to tuck into my trousers with my top that just wouldn't go away no matter how many crunches you do. And I just felt horrible. And then I got to this place where I had energy and I could have a conversation and I was able to study. I was able to write a book. And then I had my beautiful baby girl. And suddenly I'm back to that hormonal storm Mm. when I felt before where I'm exhausted and the words aren't as quick to pop into my head as what they were before. I'm a little bit self-conscious, I've noticed. And that's because my hormones are still sorting themselves out. So it's a great reminder. So how do you separate then what might be going on as a hormonal imbalance versus just, you know, you're tired because... We don't sleep when we're new mums. How do we know the difference? I'll tell you what, sleep is essential for hormone balance. So if you want to balance your hormones as a new mum, as a new wish mum, as a (laughs) mum, then you need to prioritise sleep because sleep affects all our hormones in that it actually, that sleep hormone, the neurotransmitter melatonin, it works like a seesaw with cortisol, which is your stress hormone. This is very simply put. So we have our stress hormone that's secreted from the adrenal glands. Yep. They're tiny little glands that sit above the kidneys and they're really powerful. And in times of stress, so fight or flight, the actually your nervous system is activated. It's called your sympathetic nervous system. And that speaks to your adrenal glands and you start secreting this cortisol, which is amazing because the lion's about to eat you, so you need to get out of the way. But this stress hormone is so important because it overrides any other message in the body. Hmm. And that is what it should be doing because you're about to become hmm. lunch. So and that's when we feel like running, freezing or fighting. Exactly. So it's all yeah. that. And we all understand what adrenaline feels like. Yeah. And if you step in front of a car and the car hoots, you know what that feeling's like. Or if you're in a dream and you're about to fall in your shoot awake, like we understand what that adrenaline feels like. So the heart's beating, the lungs are breathing faster and all these physiological changes are happening within the body. And it's important that cortisol gets the first nod. It's important that that hormone is able, I call them the building blocks for that hormone is being used. But that means that we may be taking away from the other hormones as well because it's within the same pathway. They're called the sex hormones. So that's your progesterone, estrogen and testosterone. Mm -hmm. They're part of the sassy sex. Your cortisol, which is your stress hormone, is part of the sassy sex, as well as your thyroid hormone, which just sits in the nape of the neck and insulin. So can we just go back to the cortisol and the sleep? Because yeah. I think that's a really important point, especially for new mums, newish mums and mums. <laughs> is what you're saying that when we're tired, cortisol is overriding our other hormones more often than it should, quote unquote. Let's go back to that cortisol. So when we're tired and we're not getting sleep, yeah. what's happening is that we stay awake. Our melatonin's not being activated. Yep, which is the so sleep hormone. Sleep hormone. So say, for example, you've got a moment to sleep, but you're sitting on your phone in your bed. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this as well. And we're looking at this blue light. Mm-hmm. That in itself is having a knock-on effect on our stress hormones. That's keeping cortisol activated. And if cortisol is activated, melatonin can't activate so we're less likely to be able to get to sleep and then we're wired and tired wired and tired which of course we see in our little ones exactly so when little one has gone past they nap or they're just not napping and we get to that little phase mm-hmm. where you know they're exhausted mm-hmm. but they're awake but they're tired and they they don't want to settle mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. that's so what what can we do like what do you do because i think sleep is just like the nemesis isn't it of any 
mum, especially new mums? This is the first time in 12 months that I've had four nights in a row where Isabella slept through because we've just done sleep training. It's probably more than that now, but I can't remember because the lack of sleep has affected my memory. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Lack of sleep and the stress actually has been shown to shrink our hippocampus, which is the memory section. That's not great. It's not great for anybody never mind so what do you advise sleep when they sleep I know it's hard like, yeah I mean today Isabella had a nap for an hour and a half and I think I got half an hour in because I thought oh, I have to do something but no actually I don't have to do that because I could have done it later or my husband could have done it sorry husband <laughs> <laughs> add more to your list what I tend to do now is I use a meditation because I feel that wired feeling where I actually like okay my brain's so awake I don't know if I can just put my head on the pillow and go to sleep. Yeah, I really relate to that. You know, you've been rushing around all morning, maybe at a mum and baby group or whatever, Mm. or even if they're older, you know, whatever you've been doing. I think then to just head on the pillow and sleep, for a lot of people, including me, is quite unobtainable. And then you start thinking about everything, and that's a very interesting thing with stress as well, is that we preempt stress but our body still goes through the same physiological changes. Yeah, it doesn't know the difference, does it? it? Difference. I talk about this a lot. Our bodies don't know the difference of when we're projecting and worrying and stressing. It's the same for our bodies as if we're actually going mm. through it. There's a very good book called Be More Zebra. I read that quite a few years ago, and he was saying that a zebra's in the wild and it can be attacked at any moment, but it doesn't amount to stress response until it sees the lion. Yeah. The rest of the time it's just happily grazing. So I know we're not zebras, but it would be nice if we tried to change our reaction to stress and stop trying to preempt stress because the only thing that we have control over is the right now. Mm. And it's great to reminisce about good things and it's wonderful to have goals and to uh, be visualizing. But when we blur those lines and we start thinking about all the horrible things that could possibly happen and all the how your boss is going to react to you in email or how... Whatever could go wrong. What you've got to do tonight or... I'm doing it a little bit today because Jessie's not sleeping well at the moment and I've noticed myself projecting to tonight what's going to happen. I know, I do it all the time. It's hard. You know, I'm sort of 10 years into a pretty steady meditation practice and, and I still find it really hard I mean I'm aware now I think that's the difference I think that's I'm a, aware that's a headspace have you done the headspace yeah yeah that's what he talks about a lot in the first 10 days I think it's it just is. awareness it's awareness and how we don't have control over everything and that's okay mm. that's one of the pillars in the book as well it's about restore so can you go through the six pillars yeah. so we've talked about the sassy six and we've talked a bit about cortisol and stress but just on one other point on cortisol I must just yeah. say that if we're highly stressed and we're not sleeping we're more inclined to eat high sugary foods as well mm. because we want our bodies crave it don't they it. i've noticed that because we learn very quickly what gives us energy and we learn that that bar of chocolate is going to give us that quick hit of energy yeah. our bodies are smart so smart but the thing is if we're eating those foods on a regular basis then we're bringing in one of our other sassy sex the insulin and that mm. insulin spikes so insulin's important to take the blood sugar out of the blood and put in our cells, and that's how it should run. But it, it should run more like little meadows as opposed to Mount Everest every now and again. Right, so yeah. what we're getting is these high peaks called hyperinsulinemia, where it's just peaking all the time. So interesting, because putting it in the context of hormones, you know, I saw all that when I was at home with Jessie on my maternity year. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be tired so I won't have prepared any healthy meals because mm-hmm. I'd have been tired, because I'd have been sleeping, which is good. That's good. But then but I would... Food. Yeah, but then I don't have healthy food. 
she naps and I'm like well I'm not going to spend 45 minutes of this nap time cooking something nutritious I'd eat something crap it was quick Mm -hmm. and then crash even harder that's the thing and then when we keep having these crashes now one thing is it's going to increase your mum tum yeah. It's going to increase that belly fat. But the other thing that it does is these high spikes of insulin actually cause more testosterone to be secreted from the ovaries. And what does that mean? So that means that we could get an imbalance with testosterone as well. So you get an increase of testosterone. So testosterone, if you suffer from polycystic ovarian syndrome, it's a testosterone and estrogen-driven condition. Right. Also, elevated testosterone can lead to more pimples. It can lead to aggression. And that's all linked to insulin. Insulin, sugar. Yeah. You recommend no sugar, no refined sugar. No refined sugar. It's so difficult because I was having this conversation with my sister. Like, if you decide to eat a piece of cake, you know what's in that piece of cake. You've consciously decided that you want to eat a piece of cake. Oh, my God, it's just a piece of cake. But if you eat a piece of cake and then you're relying on processed foods, your intake of sugar is going to be so much higher because all the added sugars that they're adding to the food. So this is where I talk about sugar a lot. And I think that the two main things that really messed our hormones up was fat-free dieting and sugar. Yeah. And they yeah. came at the same time. Yeah. And we in like this hormone... Well, that was like our mum's sort of era, wasn't it? Like the low-fat, high-sugar, yeah, the go-ahead bars and all that. I was given all of those in my um, lunchbox. I remember that if it didn't say low-fat, I wasn't interested. Yeah. It's like, well, I can't eat that. Can't have nuts. Oh, my yeah. God, nuts. Well, there was just this misconception that it was fat that made us fat. Mm. And, of course, it was, well, we know now it was sugar. sugar. Yeah. Because what we have then, if we've got this elevated testosterone, we can also get elevated estrogen. And then we're looking at, I call them the saddlebags, the gaining weight around the hip area and those like really puffy hips and puffy skin, sore breasts before your period and again pimples and putting on weight and being tearful. So all of these things, if you're noticing any of these type of symptoms, it could be down to one, not enough sleep. Too, too much stress and too much refined sugars. Mm. And Which all go together, like we've been saying. Yeah, it's almost like a lovely little equation, isn't it? You're and tired, so you're stressed, so you eat some exactly. sugar. It's just like this vicious circle that we yeah. just can't see the way out because we're tired and we're stressed. I like what you say, though, because I think the reality of being a knackered new mum is if you want a piece of cake, have a piece of cake. But like you say, I mean, the book's called The Balance Plan. Mm. You know, it's about that balance, Mm. isn't it? And that's where the six pillars really come into play, because it's about 80-20. Yeah. So talk us through the six pillars. That'd be really helpful. So we start off with nourish. And I think that's the most important. And I often talk about nourish of mind and body. But in this section in particular, I'm talking about the foods that we eat. And we're really bringing in foods that are going to nourish the body and I'm a big advocate for eating copious amounts of vegetables not yeah. copious but enough yeah. veg yeah. And I would say if you can try and aim for at least five portion of veg alone that would be so helpful and what that really does is it brings in fiber fiber is going to feed your good bacteria which is part of our balance pillar as well so pillar one is nourished. And what's your view on meat and veganism? And there's meat in the book. There's meat it? in the book. So my plan is a 28 day plan as well, and it's all the recipes, and it's a omnivore plan. But you can adapt it to if you're vegan or vegetarian. Okay. Now on that point, I get asked this a lot lately, and I'm starting to think like, wow, I really need to dive deeper into this because it just seems like I'm being guided to this area of talking about hormones and veganism and mm. vegetarianism. Because Well, I'm vegetarian, so I'm very interested in this. I'm just about to publish a blog, and its okay. blog's title is Is Being a Vegan Messing With Your Hormones? <gasps> is oh, it? Is it? Oh, spoiler <laughs> alert. 
there's so many things you can do. Being an unhealthy vegan can definitely mess with hormones. And I speak from experience because in my journey into eating disorders, it was just a slippery slope of me just going through this phase of only deciding what I thought was healthy. And it led into me becoming vegan and the most unhealthy vegan basically living on air, no proteins coming in, not enough fiber. Chips and beans on toast. This is it, you know, just like... What was that phrase that you said? Because I think that was really helpful when you you were talking about that with where you were obsessed with following what was healthy and not healthy. Oh, what I deemed to be healthy. Orthorexia. Orthorexia, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's a new phrase to me. So I just wanted to highlight again because I think there's lots of mums that might be struggling with this, especially, you know, Instagram and the rise of clean eating and veganism and all these other things i think we've moved away from what clean eating actually was clean eating was about eating a food as close to nature as possible yeah we've definitely moved moved away away from it and like now i think i don't use that hashtag i'm like it doesn't mean that anymore yeah i mean i get comparitis when i look on instagram i have stopped following a few people where i just thought i'm feeling so when I look at these photos because I don't look like that I haven't bounced back like that I mm. I'm not like it's the bounce back photos that get me I'd have to actually it makes physically me like take my tummy angry. down and then we need to focus on the pillars because I want to get the same as we keep we talk too much okay so, so back nourish to the so nourish and then balance. and then and then if people are interested in veganism and hormones yeah they're going to find your blog well, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm going to publish the blog yeah. and it's coming from a really good place and I I know that I at the stage when, when I was vegan as well I was really I got upset when anyone questioned what I was doing yeah. I was really unhealthy so this blog is about guidance because I see it a lot in my clinic and ladies that are struggling with fertility as well and that's because there's not enough fat and protein and cofactors Okay. okay, back to the pillars. So we've got nourish yeah. and we've got balance. And we're talking about blood sugar balance. It's that insulin, balancing the insulin. So it's nice little meadows as opposed to Mount Everest every now and then. Yeah, and we do that by reducing our refined sugar reducing intake. Reducing our refined sugar intake, having, I explain all about what a balanced meal looks like. And yeah. having protein with every meal or snack is really important as well. And it's not oblix protein, you know. I always remember Obelix eating the wild boar in... I don't know if you ever read Obelix. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's always just stuck in my head. It's not about that. It's about getting a whole variety of protein, plant-based, and if you... And you talk about that in the book, you yeah. know, where you can get all these yeah, different proteins absolutely. from. And also balance is about looking after your gut as well. Mm. So we're looking at your gut microflora. I call them my eco-warriors, the microbiome. It's so important to help us absorb our nutrients. Well, I'm just getting understood. fascinated with the gut at mm. the moment. When I read... I can't think it's in your book, I read it about most of our serotonin being in mm. our gut which of course is our happy hormone it's our happy hormone absolutely so if we haven't got our balance right in our gut mm-hmm. it can make us feel low and depressed and and constipation is a big one as well and i mean i went through years of constipation with a low thyroid and if we're not pooping we're not actually getting rid of the spent hormones out of the body there's a very nice poo diagram yeah. in the book, isn't there? Which yeah. I thought, which I enjoyed. Chart. I'm really happy that it got in there. I think I actually thanked them in their acknowledgement. Thanks for my poo chart. I think it's so important. Like, yeah. I see ladies in clinic and they tell me, oh, I'm regular, I go once a week. That's not regular. That's very irregular. And you need to be pooping every single day. And having a baby messes with that as well, totally, doesn't it? Totally. So if you are constipated at the moment, you could try having some linseeds in water and drinking that and then following by a big glass of water and making sure you're well hydrated because linseeds absorb water hydration as well is just a massive one especially for new mums I kept 
finding that I just forgot to drink enough water. In the beginning with breastfeeding, I drank so much because I'm yeah, so Yeah, you get thirsty. that thirst. It's oh sensational, isn't it? I don't know what... Because when I stopped feeding, I then sort of stopped remembering. I remember that because I was, like, propped up on pillows and then holding her, and I was like, bring me water, bring me water. Yeah, it's when you're on your own and you forget to get the water, and then you're stuck with no water, and your mouth is, like, dry in the desert. It's crazy. Yeah, it's bad. So water's (laughs) another one that's going to help with your energy levels as well, because if we look at marathon runners, the two things that cause the most fatigue is dehydration and lack of the right carbohydrates, lack of fuel. Yeah. But back to the pillars, yeah. I also talk about cleanse. This now, is number three, cleanse. So cleanse. Look, number three is nurture. Sorry, I'm not doing them in order. Number three is nurture. <laughs> so they are the six pillars, but you can do them, you can take a bit from each one. Yeah. And I'd love you to do a bit from everyone every single day if you can. But again, it's all about balance. So we're looking at nurture. Here we're talking about those adrenal glands. So those stress hormones your deep breathing I like four seven breathing in for yeah. four out for seven yeah. and then also looking at your thyroid it's your master metabolism gland and if you've got cold hands or feet your hair's thinning if your eyebrows are thinning on the outer ends if your eyes are gritty if you're very low mood if you're constipated I don't know if I said that mm-hmm. if you're very forgetful that could be a sign of thyroid, thyroid. so go to your GP go to your GP yeah. in the book I explain what tests you need because at the moment, a lot of GPs only looking at TSH, which is your thyroid stimulating hormone. But what you want is a full thyroid profile. And then we move on to cleanse. And I'm not talking about going on a massive detox. Yeah, because I think cleanse, again, has got a bit of a... It's like a four-letter word. Yeah. yeah. And I've got my post ready to go about should we be detoxing. And my yeah. from my research and my personal thoughts on this and what's in the book as well is that we need to be bringing in the right foods to help our body detox because there's so many damn food-like products on the market today and people are eating so few vegetables that we're not giving the liver the tools to do its job properly. So do you think detoxing can be dangerous? I personally think that going on a seven-day juice cleanse is not the answer. When I work with my clients, some of them go on a detox with me. It's a monitored detox and we take out all the foods that could possibly be causing be allergens and then we bring in a whole lot of veg and then it's a three-day cleanse in that period but I'm in touch with them the whole time it's a liquid only day so they maybe have soups but that's only under my supervision Mm -hmm. if you're doing this on a daily basis like if you're doing this from reading the book or if you just want to help your liver get your dark green leafy veg in and get your cruciferous veg in on a daily basis. Mm. I call them my detox warriors. Mm. They're the ones that are going to help you detox. And detoxing is important to get that estrogen out of the body as well, the spent estrogen. And also, we live in a very toxic world. They're xenoestrogens, and they actually mimic estrogen in the body. So, really important. I won't go into it in too much detail now. No, it's fascinating. There's over 80,000 different known toxins in the environment at the moment. We're giving birth to babies that already have toxic level. It's scary. It's, it's Especially in cities yeah, and plastic. Exactly. And plastic. I talk about that in the yeah, book as well. Yeah. Then we talk about movement. We live a sedentary lifestyle. This is life now. I just feel like we slave to our desks and work will fill any amount of space that we give it as well. And we're living in the UK. I mean... Last week, how many times could you go out for a walk last week? Hardly. What do you do for your movement then? Now with Isabella, perfect excuse, go for long walks. Yeah. Until she starts walking, then they're going to be really slow walks because 
Her little yeah. feet can't walk very yeah. fast. So now that she's still in the buggy, I can just whiz around. With I her. always say that to my new mums as well. I always suggest trying to incorporate a little bit of mindfulness into that walk as yeah. well. So just focus on your feet hitting the pavement or oh, the love feeling of the wind on your face or the feeling of the handlebars feel like and feel the texture and just try and oh. absorb in the moment yeah. walking with that buggy. Just for even like five minutes. I need to do more of that. I, I, I looked up the other day and I was like, wow, the sky looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah. When last did I look at the sky? Yeah, like, well, it's easy because you're pushing the buggy, you know, you've got a bit of a march on and you're like, right, what have I got to do when I get yeah, back? Exactly, that to do it. I've got to get, to get you know, this done and this done and this done and then that and that and that and that. So that's why I say just five minutes with mm. the buggy. Is, for me, it was a total godsend, especially as my meditation practice sort of went AWOL. That's the other thing. <laughs> so I have been listening to podcasts as I walk as well. Yeah, that's and good. And then um, I am lucky that I have a personal trainer. So he comes to me. He's amazing. He, he specialises in pregnancy and postpartum. That's a really important point to make because I think our postpartum bodies are need very careful Thank attention. You. And I know there's lots of amazing people on Instagram talking about this at the moment that some of us and some trainers out there are not trained in postpartum bodies and we just need to be really aware of that. And I just think, like, give yourself a break. Yes. Like, honestly, I exercised... I actually went... I saw my trainer three times a week before I gave birth like just before I gave birth because I actually think that movement was one of the things that helped me yeah me too fall pregnant and stay pregnant this time yeah um, mine helped me in my birth and the birth you need to be fit you need to be fit I mean I was away for three days because I yeah, had to be so. induced and I was just like I'm so awake yeah my yoga teacher was like you walk five miles a day mm-hmm. and you do I think it's like 50 squats a day I've never been fitter than the day I gave birth and I loved it yeah I just felt like I was doing something for both of us I remember a guy stopped me in the park I was just walking and he's like should you be exercising when you're pregnant and I was like first of all I'm just walking and second of all yes yes yeah. I should I mean I think it's worth giving a little health warning you know it's really important to check it out with a professional oh yeah doing. absolutely yeah. you know and I think what we're talking about is I mean mine was very gentle and you have to adapt I was not to different doing stages. crossfit no no um mine was mainly as you said squats I didn't even do lunges at that point it was squats and some arm stuff and gently going on the cross trainer with my trainer no actually I moved onto the bike yeah because it was more support yeah. for my growing belly I love my belly but getting movement in every day in whatever form that is it doesn't have to be lycra and sweat balance you, know, you don't have to be hitting the gym I just think walking for mums at any stage you know it's free it's free and, and you're and out you in nature yeah. and you can there's an om meditation yeah. on YouTube this guy's just omming for two hours I love it and I stick that in my earphones if Isabella's asleep otherwise you're the mum that's making faces at my child as we're walking I'm very animated with her <laughs> and then the last pillar is restore and this is that me time is not luxury it's a necessity it's about prioritizing sleep it's about making sure that you can get lost in a book or meeting a friend for a chin wag how do you do that as a mum of a one-year-old so i'm learning to juggle the mama hustle is real and sometimes i'm just like i just want to throw my phone like in a drawer, close it and close the drawer and never look at their phone again. You should. You're just so busy all the yeah. time. But what I'm doing now is I'm making a point of really connecting with other mums as well and going for walks. That's a big thing for me. That's she's, a good self-care activity. She's, she's so busy now. I don't really want to make her sit in a coffee shop. Mm. But if we do go somewhere, I'll make sure it's like around a time where she is having lunch or where I'm not keeping her for too long because I don't want to 
she's young and she needs to be stimulated and just stress me if she's getting stressed. And that's another self-care thing that I've learned is like not to put myself in situations where I know she's going to be stressed, so therefore I'm going to be stressed. I did exactly the same when Jessie was about the same age, actually. It was that bit where she was crawling but not walking yeah. and I didn't go to a coffee shop for two months because I didn't want her to be crawling about on the dirty coffee shop floor but she wouldn't sit in her buggy so at that point I was like I'm just not going to go to a coffee shop for two months because it was too stressful Stressful. what's the point what's the point point? and And then they pick up on our energy and it all goes wrong well that was my experience so that's good to just understand those boundaries and just like and it's okay like just also give yourself a break like my house looks like the jumble sale at the moment and my friend came to visit the other day and she's got a one and a half year old and I messaged her just before she came and I said my house is a mess and I'm okay with that and she just replied a lot why did you feel the need to message because I just thought if I've told you that my house is a mess then I'm not going to apologize as you walk through the door because do you think you might be judged not judged, but I come from family definitely where everything was really neat right and my house is Hell of a not knee. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, my husband's just like, at the moment, he feels like it's an obstacle course. <laughs> it really is. But I'm okay with that because our child is thriving and I'm prioritizing sleep right now. And it's clean because I have a cleaner coming to help me. That's probably the reason why it's clean because I didn't have time to be doing that. And that's okay. I think that's right. It's just that right now bit, isn't mm. it? Right now. But, you know, six months' time, it will just be different again. It will just be a different kind of mess, but it will be at least a bit more neutral. And what other side. self-care do you do? So you, mm. you meet with other men. Do you say you have a meditation practice? I have a meditation practice. So just before coming today for our chat, I did my... Actually, I did a hypnotherapy session. I don't know if you know Chloe Brotheridge? Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. So we did a session just before, when I was pregnant, actually. So we're going to do another one soon. And I'm still listening. She's on on the podcast, on the Motherkind podcast. Oh, yeah. I haven't heard her one. Yeah, she's at episode five. And then I just did one for her podcast, which was out today. Today's the 5th of March. So yeah, if someone wants to look that up. On Wednesday, actually. She's amazing. She is amazing. We've been working together for years. And I just feel like there was a time where I was really anxious as well. And it was after my first miscarriage and I, I just was, I struggled to get those hormones right after mm-hmm. that. And I think because I didn't actually realise what a hormonal shitstorm it was going to be after a miscarriage. I was just like, what are these pimples? I can I think a lot of people don't. And this is the thing, and that's why I want to talk about miscarriage a lot more because we just seem to sweep it under the table. Oh, you had a miscarriage, it's just a period. And it's, it's not so just common, isn't it? What's the stat? 50%. But they say it's actually more yeah. like 60, 70% of women will experience it. I was speaking to my gynecologist at the time and he said it was one in three. It's probably higher, isn't it? Because people don't realise as yeah. well if it's very early. Exactly. And I, I mean, my second miscarriage was really early and that was, I think it was five weeks. Mm. And I had another lady who miscarried and she's like... I shouldn't be upset because it was only five weeks. And I was like, from that moment that you know that you're pregnant, everything changes. And secondly, that bleed with a miscarriage is completely different Mm. to your bleed with a period. For me especially, the colour was different, the texture was different, the feeling was different. And I don't think we should take anything away from the fact at whatever week it was, if you had committed your mind... It's the promise of your baby that gets taken mm. away as well. It's a huge thing, isn't it? Emotionally. And your body and goes through physically. all the changes. Yeah. Your body now has to catch up with the fact that it's not pregnant anymore and then start balancing again. Mm. So, um, yeah. Oh, and then other self-care for me is deep oh, breathing. Yeah. Deep breathing. 
I think it's so important. We breathe here in our chest. It's sympathetic. That's how our stress breath is up in the chest. And as women, I feel like we try and keep our tummies in the whole time. Really let it loose when you're deep breathing. Just breathe into the belly. Well, the stomach should expand, expand when we breathe in. I talk about this a lot. Because when we breathe from our chest, we're actually triggering, as you were talking about, that stress cycle. Because mm-hmm. our bodies think there's something wrong. And then we're going to breathe shorter again, aren't we? So it's we get stuck in that loop. And that sympathetic nervous system, that stress response, digestion doesn't happen there. Hormones don't happen there, except for our stress hormone. But when we deep breathe in, that goes into parasympathetic nervous. Mm. That's rest and repair. That's where hormones happen. See, I think we all intuitively know this as well. Because when mm. someone comes to us who's upset, we'll often say, or I see people saying, take a deep breath. Yes. So exactly. we know, we know it's what we intuitively need but I think it's hard in the moment to remember it for ourselves and I think that's where it's really important to like change our response to stress as well so intuitively we know that but we've learned this habit that if we get this email and this person hasn't put a kiss at the end now they're upset with us and that's gonna this is real life we get yeah. email stress we yeah. stress yeah. Or... if someone puts regards it's you know what if I done wrong what have I done wrong <laughs> exactly and then we just need to change our response and we need to remember that breathing Though at the basic level, it's the thing that's keeping you alive. Mm. When we deep breathe and we really connect and we take that moment, and that's so easy to do. Even if you're having an argument with someone, you can still take a few deep breaths. Even if you're driving and there's road rage, you can take a deep breath. If you have tube rage, as I like to call it, where you're actually envisioning hitting someone with your handbag, you know, take a few deep breaths. It really helps your hormone cycle. And it's just about finding that balance and it's not about doing everything perfectly either it's about consistency and that's a really big one for me because I've been on either side I've been on the side where I was everything was extremely perfect control control yeah perfect I can't go there because I won't be able to do x y and z I can't do this and I find this with the sleep training as well in the first couple of weeks I was like oh my god I can't leave the house because I have to give her lunch at this time and I have to put it in bed by that time. And if she sleeps five minutes extra, what's going to happen tonight? So you get into the stress cycle where actually... There's nothing more stressful than sleep training. <laughs> and now I'm like a bit more relaxed. I'm like, yeah. okay, so, so we're 15 minutes late with lunch. She's fine. She's actually not... Actually, she is hungry. Let me feed her. <laughs> that moment where you're like, oh God, my child's hungry. But it's all about just letting go a little bit and just keeping within, I call it the swimming pool rules. Like if you have this beautiful resort, you can use all the facilities, but you have to stay within the resort because the facilities are there. And then the rest of the time, you can go wander off and do what you like. And that's how I like to envision what I'm doing 80% of the time and where it's in my control. I'm following this plan. And 20% of the time, where it's not in my control, I'm having a pina colada and doing what I like. So, uh, you know, letting your hair down. And that's where balance comes from. And that's where life still happens. Because what you don't want is to just be miserable. Yeah. Because you, you Well, can't... control is often masquerading fear. Yeah. That's my experience of control. Yeah. And fear holds you back. Yeah. So that's something yeah. my husband always says to me. Fear holds you back. Yeah. Something else the wise man always says is a five P's. Prior planning prevents poor performance. Mm-hmm. I put that in the book because I just feel like I have people say to me, but how can I possibly eat 
as food and make sure that I have the food and that comes from planning ahead mm. and so now like on a Sunday I really have a Sunday cook-off where I'm just cooking a whole lot of things and I'm freezing it up. yeah I think that's a good point because it's quite unrealistic like I was saying about that new mum it's quite unrealistic to be able to whip up you know like a healthy veggie stew or something yeah. in the moment but if we have a window where we're not sleeping or doing anything else to make up some food I think that's a great one really and helpful if you can get some meals ready done in the freezer yeah before yeah i'll get visitors to bring food that was my rule that no one was allowed to come and see us without bringing a meal i wish i thought of that yeah it was really good because you know what everyone wanted i remember when one friend arrived she's like i brought your baby clothes because i have no idea what you'll eat (laughs) starving i'll eat anything (laughs) i was so lucky because my mum actually i think for about two months I just kept having food delivered here. Oh, like, bless her. So That's what you need. cooking stuff and we were freezing it. And there's moments like you go through it, your child's sleeping well for a while and then they're not. And yeah. they're just really clingy and crying and they just need you all the time. And that's where I just think, damn, I'm just going to send my mum some food for her to cook for me. <laughs> so something that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast is quite a big question. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're getting ready in your chair. You're saying you're leaning forward. Is um, if you could give all the mums in the world one thing, mm-hmm. what would it be and why? I would give you the strength to believe in yourself and your intuition and the guidance to help you sleep more mm. and eat well. Oh my God, I've got so much to give you. That's three things. I know, sorry. What a bonus. <laughs> But I just think, like, just that strength to believe in yourself. As mums, we second-guess all the time. Mm. Every time I hear that, I have a little heart connection with it because I think it's so important. There's so much information out there screaming at us. Most of it's contradictory. You're right. We just have to believe in ourselves and trust. And trust. Because, I mean, hindsight is great, but it would be lovely if you could actually do it in the moment Mm. and think, hang on. I'm trusting in this now. And I think that's what I've done with Isabella because I could have read all the books under the sun but they would have driven me crazy. And so I went with the tribal, I called it like my tribal way is where I was asking mums for advice on what they did at different stages and then putting that all together and trusting my intuition. And so far, so good. Yeah. But there are moments where I just think like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I think that's most... Yeah. That's me, that's me all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone's know what we're doing, to be honest. And I'm loving it, and um, I've really loved being here. Oh, it's been so amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please check out my Instagram, where we continue the conversation, and I post daily about all things motherhood and well-being. Also, if you haven't already, have a look at my website because I've been writing more and more blogs and I'm also putting on there all the events and talks that I'm giving. And of course, if you haven't, then please do have a listen to some of the other episodes because I'm chatting to some really incredible women that I'd love you to enjoy. And if you did enjoy it, then please, please leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. So thank you very much. Mm